0: Good morning. So good to see you all on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend and a beautiful Lord's Day today. Welcome. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we're particularly glad you're able to join us for worship today. We're here to exalt uh, the risen Christ. We here at East LJ have been captivated by Him. In the gospel, we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've seen God's grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we are captivated by Him. And we pray that this morning you will see in us and in our time here the beauty of Jesus, that you'll come to enjoy Him as we do and have your hearts captivated by Him as well. This Memorial Day weekend, we pause to remember those who lost their lives while serving our country to maintain and to guard the freedom that we enjoy in this nation. And we also remember their families Today, Would you join me in standing as we turn to Luke chapter 20 for this morning's scripture reading. Luke chapter 20, we'll begin reading in verse 45 down through chapter 21, verse 4. It says, And in the hearing of all the people, he, speaking of Jesus, said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, reminds us of the giving heart of our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus, where Paul tells us that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Maybe you would ask, what in the world is that talking about? How, how did Jesus become poor so that we, we might become rich? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus, God the Son, left the glory of heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life in our place here on earth, Creator become creation, if if you will, creature, one of us. He lived a perfect life in our place, and then he went to the cross, and there he died. The death we deserve for our sins, he had no sin. He died in our place, paid the price, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. He became poor, that we might become rich. What a giving God we serve. What a, what a loving and sacrificial Savior is ours. Amen? Amen. And, so many, and yet so many we know, uh, family members of yours, neighbors, co-workers, don't know him the way we do through faith in Jesus. And so today we want to pray for your neighbors. We want to pray for God to open doors of opportunity for gospel conversations, for boldness, for me, for you as we interact with people. And we also want to pray for the nations. This morning we want to pray for a small people group the Lesgin people in Georgia, Russia, twenty five hundred people, with no uh, Christian, um, no no Christian believers among them, uh, a strongly Islamic uh, people group, and so we want to pray for the for the Lesgin people in Georgia, Russia. Join me as we pray, and, and also we'll, we'll pray for several that uh, are grieving and or need uh, needs God God's healing hand today. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you today that we can remember Jesus laying his life down for us. We can look back and see how giving you are. Lord Jesus, you left heaven in all of the glory that you so deserved, that you'd enjoyed for eternity past. And because we needed a Savior, you came. And did what only you could do. As God incarnate, you lived in our place perfectly. You did everything God required. And then you went to the cross to pay the debt that we had incurred to to satisfy the wrath of God toward our sins. But Lord, praise your name on the third day you rose again. And because you live, we can be forgiven. and We can be certain of everlasting life in your presence. Thank you that you dwell in us by your spirit today. And Lord, all of this is such a great, great salvation. It's a salvation we pray you would give to our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors. And Lord, we are full aware that the way you do that is through the proclamation of the story of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. So make us bold, keep us from guilty silence as we interact with those that so, so much need you, even as we once did. And Lord, today we pray for the unreached of the world. We pray for the lesbian people in Georgia, Russia. God, penetrate their uh, this Muslim culture there with the gospel, we pray, in some way. God, this morning we also want to pray for Ray Thompson. Tests are going on today that will influence decisions to be made about a um, couple of different options for surgery for Ray with his heart. We pray for he and Carolyn to have the wisdom they need. God, we continue to lift up Chris Jones. Thank you that he is doing better following his most recent chemo than he's been than he's done in the past. But how we pray for strength and endurance and a sense of your presence, Lord, in in Chris's life as he uh, goes through so much lately. Lord, today we lift up uh, the family of uh, Eddie Hensley and and his family as they grieve his mother's home going this week. Um, We thank you for her life, Lord, and we pray that you would comfort the family um, and encourage them and give them here in about a week a a sweet time of celebrating her life. Lord, we pray for Roger Kincaid as he... uh, goes for more tests and consults with doctors we lift up k corn this morning cindy west grandmother also we pray for cindy west stepfather lee kramer uh, lord both in in very difficult health situations very low and we pray god that you would just uh, be merciful there we pray for your healing hand we pray for uh, your comfort to the family and strength and lord we Continue to pray for Tina Newton, Keith Mathis's mother, uh, as she waits uh, some testing on Tuesday uh, there in the hospital. We pray just comfort her and strengthen her. Continue to heal her um, from her recent stroke. Lord, I thank you for each one in this place today. I pray, I thank you for those joining us via live stream, and I pray, God, that as we worship you, you would be exalted and pleased and glorified in this room and in all of our hearts, wherever we are. And Father, I pray that we would leave this place more satisfied in you, more filled up and, and in love and captivated by you than ever before. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song.
1: Good morning. Glad you joined this morning. We're going to start out with uh, This is Amazing Grace. <laughs>
2: The nations with, with truth, truth and, and justice shines
0: sometimes in our lives things are such that it is hard to do what that song talks about but Father I thank you that because Jesus died and rose again and lives today by the power of your spirit by the hope that we have in Christ, we can choose to glorify you. Always. Knowing that no matter our circumstances, our Father loves us. He proved it once and for all. In the death of Jesus Christ, His own Son. And that even today in the midst of difficult circumstances, he is working all things out for our ultimate and everlasting good and for his glory. Praise your name, Father, for who you are. Thank you that we are in your hands and we're in the best hands. Father, it's been a tough week all across our nation in different ways. Our hearts are broken over so many different things. Circumstances for so many are awful, even in these moments, and we especially pray for those in Uvalde, Texas. And yet, Lord, you reign. And when we don't understand the whys and the wherefores of this life, we trust you because of Jesus. You are good, and you're for us, your people. So, God, we just cry out to you. We praise you. We lift you up. We exalt you. And I pray, Father, that in the midst of such a crazy world, you would give us peace and joy. You would fill our hearts and overflow our lives with love that our world may see who you are in our living and hear in our speaking the testimony of your grace. For truly, Lord, what the world has always needed and will forever need, no matter how good or bad the times, what the world needs is you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to work our way through Luke's gospel. And today, oh God, how we need you to be our teacher. And we pray that you would open our hearts. We pray that you would give us clear minds to hear you speak. And that by your spirit, you would transform us more into the likeness of your son and in accord with the word of God, even as spoken by Jesus himself today. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things this morning. In Jesus' name,
3: amen. Amen.
0: Are we going to be dismissed to Children's Church? Yes. We will be dismissed to Children's Church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20 and find verse 4. 45, that's where we'll begin in just a second. Luke chapter 20, verse 45. Before we read that text, though, let's just get right to it. Just There's no real introduction this morning, just cutting right to the chase. Is your giving to the Lord risky? Is your giving to the Lord risky? When you and I drop our offering in the basket on our way out this morning or when we give online or mail in our check, could it be said that our giving was recklessly generous? You're like, wow, I came on Memorial Day weekend for this. Yes, you did. Here we go. Luke chapter 20, verse 45. It says there, Jesus again, addressing all the people, but specifically talking to the disciples in the hearing, as it says in verse 45, of all the people. He said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in all, more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So let's try to understand this scene that we see before us here. Jesus is in the court of women, where there are 13 trumpet-shaped, just imagine these these, uh, big, probably metallic, some sort of metal, uh, brass perhaps, trumpet-shaped collection boxes. And, And each one of those 13 boxes has an inscription on it that tells what the donations put into that box will be used for. Now here's the deal, best we can tell... According to the Mishnah, which is the written form of uh, the, the oral tradition of the Pharisees developed during the exile in Babylon, instead of carrying your sacrifice to the priest, you simply drop money in to equal to the equal to the value of your sacrifice or whatever offering it was into the trumpet designated for each of those purposes. It appears that this practice began during the years of the exile. When there was no temple sacrifice and continued even after the temple was rebuilt and especially in Herod's rebuilt temple at the time of Christ. So you paid your money, then the priest would at some point sacrifice the equivalent for you. Philo and Josephus both reference the fact that the Jews all around the world in the diaspora sent their temple tax and other offerings back to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, remember what day it is. It is about Wednesday before Jesus dies on Friday. This is Passover week. So the temple was nuts. I mean, the equivalent, it's Easter Sunday in the temple, right? People everywhere. Hordes of people there to make their offerings and give their sacrifices, And as we saw when Jesus drove out the money changers just a few days before back on on Monday of this same week, two days before this, when he drove out the money changers and the vendors from the court of Gentiles, the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus made clear, had turned a time of solemn worship into a money-making venture. And he said, this house is supposed to be the house of prayer, my father's house of prayer. You've made it into a den of thieves. You're here robbing the people, right up in the temple of God, and I'm not going to have it. Jesus, we just read in Luke 20, verse, verses 45 to 40, they're about verse 47, Jesus said the scribes and the Pharisees, devoured widows houses you know up to that point i mean we know they're wrong but we're not real disturbed they like to wear long robes they like to have the best seats okay so they're cocky they're you know they're self-righteous but but the next phrase gets us who devour widows houses Meaning, instead of helping widows who in that day were in deep, deep need, the scribes and Pharisees used their position and power to pray on these most vulnerable of that society, widows. And in that day, uh, that described a woman who's, not only whose husbands were dead, but they had no family to take care of them. They were at the mercy of society, and they were looking to their religious leaders for help, and they, by this time, got very little. So it's very likely... That this particular widow has been reduced to extreme poverty, at least in part, by the corrupt religious system at work in the temple. By the corrupt religious leaders that Jesus is condemning. So that Jesus calls her here a poor Widow. The word for poor there is a very unusual word, and it's the only time the words used in the New Testament is to describe this widow. This widow is not just poor. She's very poor. She is as low as it gets on the financial spectrum. You may be wondering, so how did, how did they devour widows' houses? Well... Jesus talks about in another place. We're not going to look there, so I'm just going to kind of summarize a couple things for you. Jesus talks about in another place how, how um, people would uh, make vows and give things to God. And what they would do with that is they would, they would, they would set that, that property, let's just say, apart for God, and then they would use that vow to God as an excuse to disobey the commandment, one of the big ten, that said, honor your father and mother. And they would say, well, I don't have the money to do that because this has been dedicated to the Lord. And Jesus basically called their hand and said, you're you're crazy, You're, you're just out to lunch, you're missing the whole point. In the name of the Lord, you are disobeying what's clear in God's word. And so things like this, they would would use things like this to essentially take property from widows. You're like, really? Yeah, really? It happened. That's what they were doing. So, after warning his disciples and all of the people about the scribes and the Pharisees and their greed that preyed upon even widows, Jesus looks up and sees, hear me, the embodiment, a living illustration... Of the lesson that he's just given, he sees this very poor widow. It's almost as if Jesus says, after he says, they will receive the greater condemnation, these who devour widows' houses. It's almost as if he says, in fact, y'all, just look right over there. Right there is a victim of this corrupt religious system, a victim of these money hungry, power hungry religious leaders, but I want you to know she's also an example of the only right way to worship me in your giving. She's not just a victim of a corrupt legal system, a religious system, but she's also an example of the only right way to worship me in your giving. The immediate connection Between Luke 20, verses 45 to 47, and Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, the immediate connection and timing of Jesus' warning and His observation of the poor widow's giving makes this scene all the more powerful. And it makes the lesson of her giving for us all the more unforgettable and clear. I want to talk to you this morning about the immeasurable worship Of a worthless offering. The immeasurable worship of a worthless offering. Offering. There's a lot of W's and I'm not doing real good with getting all this out. Let me try that one more time. The title of the message is. The immeasurable worship of a worthless offering. Here's the take home truth. When Jesus truly has our hearts. We are free to be recklessly generous in joyful giving. When Jesus truly has our heart, we are free to be recklessly generous in joyful giving. This passage is about the immeasurable worship of a worthless offering. Notice three lessons about our giving that Jesus teaches in our text. Number one from verse three, the value of our giving is not based On the dollar amount of our offering. The value of our giving to the Lord is not based on the dollar amount of our offering. Verse 3 says Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. This poor widow has put in more than all of them. This poor widow gave, monetarily speaking, less than all of them. And yet Jesus says she gave more than all of them. So let's figure out what's going on here. How much was one of these copper coins, these tiny copper coins that Luke describes and Jesus speaks of, how much was one of these copper coins? They were called a lepta, L E P T A. How much was it worth? Well, it took two lepta to equal one quadrants, which is the smallest of the Roman coins. A lepta was worth one sixty fourth, that's one over sixty four, of a denarius. And a denarius was a day's wage for a common worker. In today's terms, it would be worth about an eighth of a cent. That's the value of these tiny copper coins. These, as some translations have it, and as we grew up, I guess with the King James hearing, these two mites were practically speaking, dollars and cents wise, her two mites, monetarily speaking, were worthless, basically. You couldn't buy anything with two lepta. Two lepta wouldn't really accomplish anything in the work of the temple. And yet... Jesus places the highest value on her offering because, you see, the value of our giving is not based on the dollar amount of our offering. Now, you're hopefully wondering at that point, then what is it based on? I'm glad you asked. That leads us to point two. The value of our giving is not based on the dollar amount of our offering. Number two, it is, however... The value of our giving is determined by how much we keep, not how much we give. Y'all all all right? Because here's what I'm going to tell you, you ain't fixing to be all right. Time we get to point three. The value of our giving is determined by how much we keep. I'm not all right. I've been studying this all week. The value of our giving is determined by how much we keep. Not how much we give. Verse 4, Jesus makes that point in this verse when he says 4. How is it I could say that this woman who gave basically nothing, essentially a a monetarily worthless coin, two of them, how is it I can say her offering's bigger than, than all of their other offerings for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So again it's really clear isn't it that the value of our giving is not based on the dollar amount of our offering the value of our giving is determined by how much we keep not how much we give. These rich people in dollars and cents gave far more than the widow. Far more. Their offerings of a whole bunch of much larger coins just imagine it, these metallic big old trumpet receptacles. I mean they, wanted, they didn't want you to, to be able to miss the mouth of these things. So you'd throw your coins in. But just imagine all these rich people coming by and they've got a handful, a pocket full of coins. There was no paper currency that day. And they throw a bunch of coins in. And man, can you, can you not just hear it ringing out? You know, just ringing the bell of that trumpet receptacle as they throw it in for all to see. While the widow's offering probably barely made the smallest clink as it went in the mouth of those trumpets. This had to be a truly humiliating experience for this widow. I mean, she knows what she's got and what she doesn't have. She knows knows how little those two coins are worth. And she's surrounded by throngs of people. And, 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 and those 13 trumpets, I mean, they, they're ringing like bells with people's money being dumped in there. And, and she just, tink, tosses her two coins in. The contrast, the vast difference between her offering and, and that of the rest of the crowd, I mean, it would have been painfully obvious to anybody there, especially her. And yet she gave. And she gave big. Because she gave, Jesus said, all that she had to live on. You see, the value of our giving is determined by how much we keep. Not how much we give. The last lesson and third and final lesson that this extraordinary saint teaches us is this. The risk of reckless generosity is the right way for Christ's followers to give. The risk of reckless generosity is the right way for Christ's followers to give. Pretty much this widow illustrates that. And Jesus says, look at her. Jesus commends her. Jesus commends and exalts the widow's offering. Notice here, he does not shout a warning to this widow. Whoa! whoa. That's all you got to live on. Do not throw that in. Stop! He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell her, That she's crazy for giving so much when she has so little. He doesn't tell her, no, God would never have you give everything you've got to live on. He doesn't stop her. In fact, he raises her giving up as an illustration of an example of true Christian giving for Jesus' followers that were there that day and for us here today. The risk of reckless generosity is the right way for Christ followers to give, according to Jesus. I wonder how often we, I, you, wonder how often we give our predetermined percentage that always leaves plenty of money to do all the things that we want to do, and on our way home we pat ourselves on the back for being so generous. The risk of reckless generosity is the right way for Christ's followers to give. You know, it appears that the disciples who were there that day and and saw this, heard this lesson, looked at this illustration, and this poor, poor widow, it appears that they took this lesson to heart because when we get over to the book of Acts, that describes the everyday life of the early church. Uh, that is the church that was started by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost under, the, under the, the, the preaching of the apostles. Again, some of those 12 that were standing right there that day. We see a reckless generosity in giving as the norm. In Acts 2.45, this is how they were living on a daily basis. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Whoa, Chad, hang on. Preacher, are you saying that we need to sell all we have and divide up the proceeds? Well, what we're seeing from the Scripture, I'm trying not to say anything but to show you what the Bible says. What we're seeing from Scripture is that in the words of Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. That's what Scripture makes plain. So, if our brothers and sisters have a need, and there are times that they do. We're not in the same world as the early church in Acts chapter 2. We're not being persecuted and therefore financially oppressed. But there are times when that's the case. So if our brothers, sisters have a need, if the poor of our community have a need, and by the way, those needs are there, if the unreached people groups of the world that are spiritually bankrupt, without the gospel and having never heard of the grace of Jesus, If they need to be reached with the gospel, by the way, that's a task that, that costs money, and they do. Then selling stuff and being recklessly generous in our giving, when the occasion demands it, is the only right thing to do. It's not the first time we've heard Jesus talk like this in Matthew 19. Verse 21, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, if you would would be perfect, go sell what you possess. and Give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You've heard me say this before, but when taken on a worldwide scale today, understand this, if Jesus came to any church in America to preach revival, this would be his message, and he would be speaking to you, and he would be speaking to me. For we have great possessions. We are among, all Americans are among the top 3% of the world's wealthy. And to us, he would say, you know, here's the deal, If if you're serious about following me, sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Why? Because we are in love with our stuff. Jesus knew that was true for that that young rich young ruler and the, by the way he was right because he went away sorrowful he loved his money more than he loved Jesus he was determined to hold on to his stuff rather than leave it to follow Jesus do we really believe that we can't take our money with us, but we can send it on ahead where heavenly treasures will await us because of how we've given while we're here on earth? Do we really believe that? 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. You remember the Macedonians? Again, another example from the early church about this kind of radical generosity, this reckless almost generosity. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, they're being persecuted. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 2 is some of the craziest math you'll ever read. They're suffering persecution in a severe test of affliction. That's, that's, That's their life. In the middle of that, they have an abundance of joy. Those two things don't go together, right? And this fits with the persecution. They have extreme poverty. So what are the ingredients we've got to come up with something? We've got suffering, joy, That's humanly inexplicable. And extreme poverty. Now who would would think that if you take those three ingredients, put them in a pot, stir them up, that what's going to come out of the oven when it's done is a wealth of generosity on their part. I mean, the math don't work. Unless Jesus who lives is involved. Unless the reason for their joy is that Christ died and rose again and he lives today. And they have hope not just for this life, but of another world forever in the presence of God. And they believe it's real. To the point that they will not take no for an answer when they tell Paul they want to give. As the text goes on to say, for they gave. Check it out. According to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul is going around collecting an offering for the suffering saints in Jerusalem. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're in the hub of Judaism they were walking around like crazy people saying, guys, your Messiah came. He lived a perfect life in your place. He went to the cross. That was him on Golgotha that Friday. He was dead for three days, but he rose again. He lives today. He is your only hope. And their businesses were being shut down. They were were on the brink of starvation because the whole nation of Israel looked at that message and rejected them. They were ostracized. They were starving to death. So, Paul was going around collecting from the churches all around the world an offering to sustain them. And these poor Macedonians going through similar suffering said, We want to be part of that. We ain't ain't got nothing, but what we've got, we're going to give. You know, sometimes you hear people talk about, you know, God doesn't expect you to give beyond what you're able to give. Well, okay. But he gives us an example of people who it says in the text, I'm just reading, I'm not making this up, this is not a commentary, this is the words of Scripture. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us! And so the example of the Macedonians just underscores the point we're making, that is this, the risk of reckless generosity. It's the right way for Christ followers to give. It's the right way. Have have I ever given to the point that it changed the way I live my life? Have I ever given to the point that I could truly say I have given all I can possibly give. In fact, I've gone beyond my ability to give. Have you? Nick Ripkin, the author of The Insanity of God, great book about the persecuted church and what he learned while living and ministering there among the persecuted church around the world. He shares an amazing illustration of all we've seen this morning as he tells a story of what he witnessed in the mountain region between South Africa and Lesotho. He says, our, our next weekend of ministry was a six-hour trip into the mountains bordering South Africa and Lesotho. A home had been arranged to host us. Beds had been borrowed so that we would not have to sleep on the floor, and we were looking forward to the higher elevations with mild days and cool nights. Typical Christian worship in these small rural churches was at least a four-hour affair. They were so thrilled to meet us, especially our boys. Our boys, our three sons had their white skin pinched and their blonde hair rubbed repeatedly by village children. I sometimes envied our sons' freedom to run through the village with other kids as we sat for hours as honored guests in every church or home we visited. After hours of worship one day, I was happy to announce that our mission board back home in the States had granted the church of our host country $10,000... to provide Bibles, train leaders, and start Bible studies in homes. Our sponsoring churches would not feel the loss of this amount of money. And perhaps that contributed to my slightly cavalier presentation. But I have no excuse. I should have known better. We knew that most of our audience made only $1 per day... if they had a paying job. For them... $10,000 $10,000 was a staggering amount of money. And in the context of apartheid, this sum was overshadowed by the fact that white Christians cared enough to give black Christians a significant gift. Given this context, $10,000 seemed like a massively sacrificial gift. Because I would placed my cultural awareness in neutral, I was not prepared for what happened following my almost throwaway announcement a spontaneous offering broke out. And it lasted over three hours. The whole church began to clap and sing, with the women making a trilling sound with their tongue called a euulation, u- that I have been unable to emulate for years, for 32 years. They began to dance in groups of four to six. With mesmerizing grace, they would dance toward the handmade altar table at the front of the church, They would sway together in rhythm, two steps forward and one step back, slowly making their way toward the front. Moving in harmony before the offering table, hiding money in their hands, they would mimic placing their money on the table and pull it away until at a moment known only to them, they'd slap their money on the table. It was worship at its best. There was a joy of giving that was immeasurable, Kids begin to beg money from adults. They would take whatever change they received, run to the tiny store next door, and exchange their money for even smaller coins so that they could dance to the altar with their coins more than one time, over and over. Caught up in the exuberance of the moment, I noticed an old woman sitting by herself, seemingly unaffected by the joy of giving that surrounded her. After nearly two hours of spontaneous offering. What world is this? After almost two hours of spontaneous offering, this woman finally stood up and started making her way to the front of the church. She was aged. With wrinkled flesh, arthritic fingers, and a look of deep concern and determination on her voice. She was too crippled to dance and too focused to sing. As she limped toward the altar, she reached into the front of her blouse and took out a knotted handkerchief. With crooked fingers and teeth, she slowly began to unknot that handkerchief to reveal just one small coin. When she reached the altar table, she slowly laid her coin on the rough wood. She stood by herself for a moment and seemed to caress the coin before slowly walking back to her bench. After hours of this spontaneous offering, I went up to the front of the church with one of the leaders. I picked up the coin she had given. I'd never seen such a copper coin in the seven years that we'd lived in South Africa. I gave it to the leader, telling him who had given it, and asked him if he knew what it was. He stared at me before taking the coin and walking back where the old woman was sitting... And after about 10 minutes, he came back to me with her story. What she had given was a British halfpenny. It was her life savings and her retirement fund. It was all that she had. What she didn't know was that that coin had been taken out of circulation in 1967, it had zero value. It could buy nothing. Knotted in a handkerchief stored in the front of her blouse, this coin had measured her hope for the future. And yet she still gave it all to Jesus. With the leader's blessing, I took the halfpenny after placing a significant offering in her honor on that scarred table. And I've kept that coin for almost 30 years as a reminder. After hearing her story, we wanted so much to empty our pockets to help this old lady for her retirement. The local leader asked us to leave her alone. He said, don't you cheat her out of giving everything she has to Jesus. Don't cheapen her sacrifice. She belongs to us, and we will care for her. We'll tell her story of sacrifice, and it'll live for generations in this village. $10,000 was a generous gift from American believers. Yet a worthless British halfpenny, Ripken says, taught me about sacrifice and giving all to Jesus, trusting Him for the days to come like nothing else ever has. I can still see that old woman in my mind's eye today, he says. I recall the way she limped and the difficulty she had unknotting her handkerchief. I remember the shock I felt after learning about her sacrifice and her trust in God for all that tomorrow would hold. I've often heard, You can't outgive God? I'm not even going to try. I can't even outgive the old, that old woman in the mountains of South Africa and Lesotho. You see, this is the immeasurable worship of a worthless offering. Just like we see in Luke 21. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, the point is this. Concerning our giving, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And the works he's talking about in the context at that moment was the work of giving. You see, when Jesus truly has our heart, we are free to be recklessly generous in joyful giving. And it all goes back to what Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, we read at the beginning of the service. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus went to the cross to make us eternally rich in him. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we have every spiritual blessing. Just think of of it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we have it in him. Every blessing heaven holds is ours today in Jesus. Jesus became poor that we might become rich. And every day we have the opportunity about how we're going to handle our money. What we're going to do. How we're going to to view eternity, money, things here on earth, possessions, and heavenly treasures. When Jesus truly has our heart, we're free free to be recklessly generous and joyful giving. We're imitating him. Jesus didn't come and live in your place and die on the cross for you and rise on the third day for you. Begrudgingly, did he? It says in in, in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He delighted to come do that for you. He did that with pleasure and joy. Easy? No. So hard that on the night before his death, he would pray, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He was recklessly generous in his giving to us. Joyfully. If we really get His grace to us, it changes everything about our lives in this world. Even our money. Even our finances. And by the way, it's just a law of nature. Your finances reveal your heart. My finances reveal my heart. And the value of my giving, my offering, is not how much I give in dollars and cents. The value of my giving is how much I keep. And whether or not I'm willing to risk reckless generosity for the glory of the King, for the glory of Christ, When Jesus truly has our heart, we're free to be recklessly generous and joyful giving. Oh, how I pray we'd learn the joy of giving that we see all through the New Testament. In the lives of the Macedonians, Jesus doesn't tell us about the widow's joy, but just based on the principle we see in Scripture, I believe if she gave in obedience, there was a joy in it, even, even mixed with fear, perhaps. Still joy. In the obedience to God. Let's pray together. Father, grow us. Help us. Practically show us what it would be like, what it would mean in our lives, what it would look like in our lives. If with all joy in Jesus, we recklessly gave generously. Teach me something about, not the dollars I give, but the dollars I keep. Show us something about our hearts from... How we save and what we save for for all that we hold for ourselves and a lot of the fact that we are here for a limited time and we are headed to an eternal home where we can be sending our treasures ahead Give us eyes to see eternally with eternal perspective. and Show us what true joy in giving is. Lord Jesus, thank you that you on the cross are the measure. Make us more like you. For you are worthy And oh Lord, even as you yourself said, it is better to give than receive. There is so much joy when we get this right. When we get over ourselves, when we get over our struggles, when we let go of our fears and insecurities and lust for stuff. There's so much more joy in giving. Even that we might speak of the reason we give and the Grace we've been given in Christ. Do a work in our hearts, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we come to celebrate the gift Jesus gave us. The reckless generosity of his life given in our place. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 warns the Corinthian church, and these words always serve as such a good preparation for our hearts. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body Eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, he told the church at Corinth, are weak and ill, and some have died. What's Paul saying? Paul's telling the church there they were they were playing games at the Lord's table. They were coming to this table half drunk. They were treating this table as a as just a snack, as as a party. They weren't remembering the sacrifice of Christ. And and, and Paul says, if you take this table in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, we'll never be worthy. He alone is worthy. But we can partake in a manner worthy, in a way that shows the value of Jesus' sacrifice. And that is by coming to this table with all sobriety and sincerity and, and just... In our hearts saying to God, I have no hope before you except for the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Jesus, you are my entire hope. And the fact that you rose again on the third day, this is this is my hope. And as we eat the bread and drink the cup, physically illustrating what's going on inside, basically saying, Jesus, if you don't feed me and and... Feed feed me spiritually and and, and fill me spiritually with your your broken body and shed blood. I have have no sustenance. Dependent on him. So Paul said, examine yourself before you come. God had judged some people in Corinth. They were sick. They were weak. He'd already just went ahead and called some of them home because his name was being dishonored. So as we come, let's prepare our hearts. Father, search us now. And may we come to this table as little children, fully dependent on Jesus and Jesus alone for our standing before you, our righteousness, our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, the full righteousness required to come into your presence. May we come to this table knowing it's all from Jesus and Him alone. May we not come to this table, Lord, having anything exalted in our hearts above Christ. Cleanse our hearts from pleasures that we've put in place of Jesus, put above our pleasure and delight in Him. So that we might not just worship you with our lips, but that our hearts would be full on in enjoying you, treasuring you. Thank you for the gift of this time. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Paul in the same chapter tells the Corinthians that For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, Paul says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So once a month when we do this as a church, we say to one another and we say to any visiting with us who may not know Jesus, in our eating and our drinking, we say, Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only hope and salvation for our souls. Jesus is the only food that can... That can feed us unto eternal life. Nourish us unto eternal life. And with all of our hearts. We depend on what he did on the cross. And in the resurrection. And we say to those who see and who watch. Come to Jesus. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. Depend on him. So that's our appeal to you. Even as we come. This morning. I invite you to come to the table. If you're visiting with us and, and haven't been with us for the Lord's table before, let me just give a quick explanation. If you need a gluten-free option, this uh, plate right here has that. Otherwise, we have these cups we came to use during COVID, and there's there's two layers to the lid. Get the clear one first so you can get to the bread without spilling grape juice on you. Then take the next layer, which is colored, and and open for the juice. And so... All in one, right there is how that works. And so I invite you, let's stand together and come to the table. We'll start over here on on this side. We'll just kind of work our way around and uh, come celebrate the goodness of God in Christ today. serve yourselves at the table. Aren't you thankful for God's unending love and his amazing grace? Amen and amen. Just a few announcements before we dismiss this morning. First of all, next Sunday, uh, we will have our second session uh, of our Stack Stones membership class. That'll be next Sunday from 4 to 6 in the afternoon, uh, right here in the sanctuary. So look forward to seeing, I think, the 15 or 16 or so of you guys that have been uh, with us for session one. Look forward to seeing you again next Sunday afternoon tonight at 6 p.m. as always on Sunday evenings uh, with rare exception we will have our crowd to Jesus prayer service appreciate uh, brother Roger leading that that service this evening for us and so uh, join your church family to pray tonight at six o'clock also we want to resume the International Learning Center a ministry we uh, did for about a year and a half prior to the COVID shutdown Uh, where we teach English to internationals in our community. We want to pick that up uh, again in September. Uh, But we need two more teachers and also some uh, young ladies to serve as childcare workers. Kathy Hensley is going to head up the nursery. But we need a couple of more English teachers. If you can speak English, believe me, we can can equip you to teach English. We have a scripted curriculum. If you can read the curriculum to the students... They will learn English. It's it's an amazing thing. And you can do that. So if you're interested, see me, uh, and we'll get you going with that. I'm going to ask Travis Green to come with one final announcement this morning. Uh, And Travis, if you'll also dismiss us in prayer.
1: Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, just something real quick. Uh, it's my honor as Sunday school director uh, to get to honor those who uh, have taught us over the years. So uh, we've had a couple of teachers during the uh, COVID period, and a little after who have, uh, after many years, retired. Uh, so we want to honor them for that. So uh, uh, Mr. Bobby, Mrs. Bobby, uh, Freddie Ray, uh, Ms. Karen, and Ms. Mary Hensley, Uh, have spent many years here teaching uh, grown adults and young kids, Uh, so we just wanna honor them for what they do. Um, So uh, as you exit out these center doors, uh, there's a table in the back, and for the next couple Sundays, we have some journals out there uh, that we will give them, but what I wanted to do is have uh, folks who have been in their Sunday school classes or had kids taught uh, by them, or just if they've impacted you at all, if you would just write a small note a uh, note of encouragement prayer uh, for them and then here in a couple weeks we'll give them those journals uh, so that they'll have those um, to uh, to know how we love and feel about them but also for uh, their own personal uh, growth and study so uh, if y'all wouldn't mind over the next couple weeks just take a moment uh, and just write a note of encouragement or uh, and prayer and just we're thankful for what they do so here in a couple weeks uh, we will let y'all know for sure What Sunday that will be when we give them those so that we can uh, honor them and thank them for the service that they've done through uh, teaching our young kids and adults in Sunday school. So let me uh, close this in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for uh, gathering us together as a body of believers, uh, a time that we can come together and grow uh, to know how much you love us and how how much you care for us. Uh, Thank you for uh, the gospel. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that's preached here every Sunday. Uh, thank you for the death and resurrection of your son uh, and the eternal life that it brings us uh, i pray that we would uh, leave here uh, changed not unchanged and that uh, your gospel mission for us will be on our uh, forefront and in, uh, in every conversation that we have uh, bring us back safely next week together together and just to uh, bask in your glory uh, in, in a time of worship of you in jesus name we pray amen